The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Well, we're in Isaiah 9 this morning, and we're going to be in verses 6 and 7. This Friday, two days ago, I don't know if you know, but it was Friday the 13th. One of my boys asked me, Earlier in the week, is Friday the 13th scary, Dad? And I said, no, Friday the 13th is not scary. But there was one Friday the 13th in my life that was scary. It was Friday the 13th, 1985. It's December 13th. I was 11 years old. Ronald Reagan was president long, long time ago. My sister was a basketball player. She had a basketball game that night. She was a really, really good basketball player. Now, her shot was not as pretty as mine. She was a great, great defensive player. I don't know if I mentioned this, but her shot didn't look as good as mine. But she was really good defensively. She had a, a game that was far away. We were going to drop her off at the gym, come back home. It was too far for us to, to go we stopped at my grandparents' house and we drove back to our house that was in the country. There weren't many neighbors close by. How far in the country was it? It was on Alligator Park Road. Somebody asked me when I said neighbors weren't close by in the last service, well, if you needed something, how did you reach out to neighbors? Usually we use carrier pigeon. They were a long way away. We drove down our long driveway on Alligator Park Road, this gravel driveway, and we pulled up like we would any evening, and my dad happened to get out of the car first, and my mom and I were getting out of the car, and I saw my dad go to open our door, and it was open. And he turned around and said, get in the car and get to the neighbor's house. And my dad went in our house, and my mom and I drove down, back down our driveway about a quarter of a mile to the nearest neighbor's house, and as we were pulling in, there was kind of a wooded area across from them, a green truck just peels out and takes off in a cloud of dust. My dad came and got us. And December 13th, Friday the 13th, 1985, our house had been robbed 12 days before Christmas. And I remember walking in the house and the first thing I saw, not to date myself at all, was a cartridge on the dining room floor from my Atari 2600. My Atari had been stolen. Listen, I'm not thinking about the fact that my dad's hunting rifles and my mom's jewelry and our VCR, again, not to date myself, all that's gone. When I see my Atari 2600 has been stolen, the first thing I thought is, what about the Christmas tree? So I ran down the three stairs into our living room and there was our Christmas tree with ornaments and lights and not a single present under it. They took Christmas. And I remember, I mean, this could have been so frightening. You imagine just as a selfish 11-year-old boy, I'm not thinking about safety. I'm not thinking about my mom's jewelry. I'm thinking I'm fixing to get nothing for Christmas. <laughs> but I had this grandma named T who was pretty bougie and a little bit over the top every year at Christmas. And I remember 
around the 10th or 11th of December, she had a formal living room in her house. That door got closed and you didn't open it till Christmas morning. And Christmas morning, I opened that door and it was ridiculous. You had to step over presents to find a place to sit down. See, in T. Bower's house, Christmas couldn't be stolen. And in the darkness of this world with pain, with disease, with disaster, with what you're going to have to go through in the next 10 days, some of you are very, very excited about seeing your family for Christmas. Others of you are not very excited about seeing your family for Christmas. If you're not excited about seeing your family for Christmas, just rate, no, don't raise your hand. Don't do, don't do that. This is a church, right? We're, we're all really excited. But here's the thing, here's the thing. Nothing really can take away the joy that is ours this Christmas. Nothing can take away the joy that we can express. Nothing can rob the joy that I know we want to share with maybe some family members who don't quite have the joy they ought to have at Christmas. In Isaiah chapter 9, it's 700 years before the birth of Christ, and Israel is in a very difficult time in their nation. King David had reigned in peace and prosperity. Then his son Solomon reigned, and after Solomon reigned, the kingdom had been divided. They were headed toward exile, and Isaiah is prophesying to the people of Judah in the reigns of four kings including King Uzziah, King Hezekiah. And we're going to be in, in verse 6 and 7 this morning. But let's just start in verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shined you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with the joy of the harvest. And they are glad as they would be glad when they divide the spoil, the spoil of victory for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken. Israel's going to see light. There's going to be joy coming to them. Now, Isaiah is going to make lots of prophecies, and many of them will come about and be fulfilled within a couple of hundred years of his death. But this one, the people were waiting on for 700 years. In verse 6, he says, For unto us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders." He's going to be king. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore and the zeal of the Lord of hosts is going to accomplish this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts is going to bring about this child that will rule on David's throne forevermore in justice and in righteousness. Let's pray. God, would you give us zeal for your glory like the zeal you have for your glory? 
And God, would you give us joy at this good news that a child is born and a son is given. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There are three things that Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 tell us about the birth of Jesus that ought to give us lots and lots of joy this Christmas. And the first is this, that the birth of Jesus represented the destruction of Satan's reign on earth. This child is born, this son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. He's going to be king. Genesis chapter 3, the fall happens and this prophecy is made. This offspring of the woman is going to come and the serpent is going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush the serpent's head. He's going to end his reign in this broken world. And that ought to be really, really good news. Turn over to Matthew chapter 4. Turn over to Matthew chapter 4. The birth of Jesus represented the destruction of Satan's reign on earth. And when the birth of Jesus was announced, the people who heard it were told, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Zechariah and Elizabeth who will have John the Baptist, they're told, do not be afraid. Joseph, do not be afraid. Mary, do not be afraid. The shepherd that the angels came to, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. But for some, the birth of Jesus was not good news and it did not bring them great joy. In fact, they had reason to be very, very afraid And those some would be Satan and his armies because the birth of this baby, the birth of this baby signified the end of his reign. And in fact, he was so afraid, he thought, I'll bring this to an end before it begins. So Jesus is taken out into the wilderness to be tempted by the serpent. And the tempter comes and says, if you are the son of God, turn these stones to bread And Jesus answered, but it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This baby had grown up and he would trust the father like no human had ever before. And can you imagine the serpent's eyes shifting with nervousness and fear? Then he says, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. He took Jesus to the top of the temple. Throw yourself down from here. If he falls from the temple and dies, he can't die on a cross for the sins of humanity. He will command his angels concerning you. On their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a a stone. And Jesus said again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Can you imagine that the hair on the enemy's back stood up? as Jesus withstood temptation. And the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. And he said, I will give you all of these if you fall down and worship me, which was a strange thing to do because they all belong to Jesus anyway. And he said, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only. And the devil left him. And he had reason to be afraid because Jesus had come to bring great joy for all people. If you look in Mark chapter 5, you'll see 
his demons had reason to be afraid is there's this demoniac who's tormented and Jesus comes and interacts with him and the demons say, what have you to do with us, Jesus, son of the most high God? Oh, please don't send us into the abyss. They knew he was coming to bring joy, to bring freedom from people, whether it was demons or disease or disaster or ultimately death. As he raised Jairus' daughter and gave this symbol that he came to destroy the works of the devil and he's going to come again one day and destroy them forevermore. So even in the midst of this world, we can have joy because our enemy, the devil, will not ultimately have his way. So that's why we can move from despair to hope. That's why we can move from chaos to peace. And that's why we can move from sorrow to joy because Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil and he came that our joy might be made full. He told his disciples in John 15, the greatest command he could give them would be to love one another. And he told them that. Why? So that their joy might be full. 1 John 1, 4 He says, I'm writing these things down so that he may be in you and that your joy may be full. When Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, he came so that our joy might be full. Jesus Christ came and was born to signify the end, the destruction of Satan's reign on earth. And the birth of Jesus brought about the revelatory explanation of who God is. What in the world does that mean? Jesus' birth and Jesus' life on earth was an explanation of who God is. John 1.18, no one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is in the bosom of the Father, he explains God. He explains God. Hebrews chapter 1 says of Jesus in verse 3, he is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. He's the exact representative of God and this baby born in a manger upholds the universe by the word of his power. So when you look at this next week and the busyness that you have and the difficulty that you might face and broken families and pain that you experience and loss that you've experienced, I want you to say this word with me, universe. Say that, universe. So it says that Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. So let me ask you a very easy question. I was not a math major, and I like easy questions. Would you say that all the things that we might face would be wrapped up inside and contained in that word universe? I would say yes. I would say yes, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power, and his birth is going to lead to the revelatory explanation of who God is, the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power. So in Isaiah 9, 6, this prophecy explains some of what this means when Jesus is going to explain who God is, and the first thing is that he 
is wonderful counselor. This child born will be a wonderful counselor when he's 12 years old. His parents, his earthly parents, Joseph and Mary, they can't find him. They go looking for him. He's in the temple, but he's not in the temple learning. He's in the temple teaching. And the rulers, the chief priests, the leaders of the Jewish nation, they're amazed at the wisdom of this boy. They're blown away at the wisdom of this child. When people went to arrest him, they were sent to arrest him, and they came back empty-handed. They told those who had sent them, Nobody ever spoke like this man. Nobody ever spoke. When you just read through this first sermon of Jesus as the Sermon on the Mount, as you walk through that, you will see wisdom for almost any life situation you face. Colossians 2.3 says it this way. It says, in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And he said he would send his Holy Spirit to guide us into truth and to counsel us. This baby born would be wonderful counselor. This baby born would be mighty God. He would be mighty God, uncreated. Look with me at John chapter one. John describes Jesus, and it says, in the beginning was the Word, that's Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him, nothing was made that has been made, and in Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. All the darkness collectively throughout the history of the world has not overcome the light that was brought about when this baby was born. We ought to have joy when we think about the birth of this baby. This word became flesh, the word that was with God. This word became flesh, Jesus and he dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of, as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus, the Messiah, is uncreated. He's not, as some say, Lucifer's brother. He's God in the flesh, was with God in the beginning. He is mighty God. He will be wonderful counselor, mighty God, and everlasting Father, well, how's that happen? There's this mystery. He's the son. How can he be the father? Well, Jesus tells his disciples in, in John 10, 29, he says, my father who's given them to me, my sheep, he's greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. Then when he was praying for us the night before he died, He's been praying for his disciples in John 17 and verse 20. It says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be in us. Why? So that the world may know you've sent us. He goes on. I pray that they may be one, even as we are one. He is wonderful counselor. He is mighty God. He is everlasting father. And he is the prince of peace. As Dave taught us last week, peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is the presence of Jesus. And when he came, 
He came to bring peace on earth and goodwill toward those with whom God is pleased. Jesus told his disciples in John 14, 27, my peace I leave with you, not as the world gives. I give my peace to you. In John 16, 33, he says, in this world, you're gonna have trouble. Now, we all live in this world. Raise your hand if you've ever had trouble, right? Somebody's lying. In this world, you'll have trouble. I give you my peace. You'll have trouble, but you have my peace because I have overcome the world, Jesus. His birth signified the end or the destruction of Satan's reign. His birth signified. It represented this revelatory explanation of who God is. Jesus shows us who God is. Is He didn't come just to bring peace. He is our peace. And we can have this gift of joy, not a command, not a duty, but this gift from God, the fruit of his spirit this Christmas. Jesus came and his birth would mark the beginning of the establishment of the kingdom of God on earth. Now that's the most amazing thing. What that means is that when his people exist and somebody shows up, what they see is a people who are making much of Jesus Christ. Their affections are stirred for him and they're lifting him up as beautiful and king. When his kingdom comes, people find that there are people who love one another, bear with one another, forgive one another. They preach the good news. The poor are cared for. They're full of truth and life. They have hope and peace and joy and love because they are on a mission and they're worshiping the king. They're trying to walk in this truth that Jesus brought to bring. Now, there were these bracelets a long time ago, 10 or 15 years. That's a long time, right? People wore these bracelets. They were really popular for a while. Then they were kind of trendy, and then they were kind of goofy. And the bracelet said, WWJD. Now, you might have loved those, and they might have helped you walk with Jesus. You might be too young to remember them. You might have saw those and thought, that's the goofiest thing in the world. But let me just tell you, there's never been a bracelet. I've never seen one that said, WWFD, what would Freud do? Never seen a bracelet that said, WWND, what would Nietzsche do? WWMD, what would Marx do? But there's this kingdom that Isaiah says will never, ever end. It's David's kingdom and it's his throne and this king that was coming, his name was Jesus is going to sit and we want to live and surrender to the king of the increase of his government and of peace. There will be no end. He'll establish David's throne and uphold it with justice and righteousness forever. See, Jesus talked about this kingdom and when he talked about this kingdom, it was associated with joy. In fact, the first words that Mark records that Jesus spoke in Mark 1.15 are repent and believe the good news because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I'm here. I'm here. I remember when Tiger Woods signed a contract with Nike and became a professional golfer, and he said, hello world. 
And people talked about him being the chosen one, and he's been really good at golf and not so good at golf and kind of okay at life and really, really bad at life. See, when Jesus came, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and believe the good news. And this phrase, good news, had been used over and over and over. This was a symbol that the king was coming. See, Isaiah, in one of his other prophecies, he says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings the good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. They should write a song about that. Go tell it on the mountain. Wouldn't that be catchy? Isaiah 52 says that. In Isaiah 61, he said, the spirit of the Lord, speaking of the Messiah, the spirit of the Lord, God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. Why? To bring Good news to the poor. When this good news comes, the kingdom is coming. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Nahum said it. Behold upon the mountains the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace. Keep your feast, O Judah. Fulfill your vows, for never again shall the worthless pass through you. He is utterly cut off. There will be a day when the worthless are cut off and the kingdom fully comes. And that will be good news. When Zechariah, his wife Elizabeth, was going to be found to be pregnant with child to bring the forerunner, the angel answered him. He says, how will I know? I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And then the shepherds were there and they saw this angel and many, many angels, more than you could count. And the angel said, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. The good news is that the birth of Jesus is the establishment of the kingdom of God. And that ought to give us great, great joy at Christmas. See, sometimes... Sometimes I think we look at Christmas and we do all kinds of things to try to create joy. We even say things like, I got to make sure this Christmas is really, really good. Let me just help you with this. Christmas is really, really good. Now that doesn't mean don't do all those things. Do all those things. You guys like Christmas lights? Anybody? I, I like Christmas lights, yeah? I love Christmas lights. The ones on my house don't look that great, but I still like them. We drive through the neighborhood and look at all the other Christmas lights that look better than mine, and I'm just happy about it. I don't know if you like cinnamon rolls. We make cinnamon rolls at my house at Christmas, and they're real, real good. Anybody like Christmas cookies? I like Christmas cookies. We make Christmas cookies at my house, and by we make Christmas cookies at my house, what I mean is my wife and my daughter and my sister-in-law and my niece cut out these cookies and make different color icing and they make these beautiful Christmas cookies. And my boys and I dump too much glitter out and get the colors mixed up, and we make not-so-beautiful Christmas cookies. But let me tell you what I found out a couple of years ago. There's a cookie cutter of a snowman without a hat. He's got a scarf on, and they try to put his nose there, but it's 2D, so it just comes out this way. Scarf's coming out this way. And if you don't dye it white, but you dye it yellow and put a little orange on that nose, it looks just like a duck with a scarf on. <laughs> That's a really cool looking Christmas cookie. 
What do ducks have to do with Christmas? I'm not sure, but I really like making that Christmas cookie. Do you like Christmas presents? I love Christmas presents. My size is burnt orange. <laughs> See, all those things are great, but here's the thing. We can look at Christmas lights. We can make Christmas cookies. You can do whatever traditions you have to try to create a great Christmas, but when you do that, what you end up doing is put a pressure on yourself that God never intended you to carry. Or you can go look at Christmas lights because unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given and you can make ugly Christmas cookies or beautiful Christmas cookies because the government's gonna be upon his shoulders. And you can eat cinnamon rolls and open presents and go to parties because he is wonderful counselor and mighty God and everlasting father and prince of peace. And you can just go in the overflow of joy. It's the craziest thing in the world, though, that, that the son of God became flesh. And in the midst of this beautiful, beautiful moment and all the lights and all the presents may be right in front of us. There's the greatest gift of all, and we could forget that in this obscure little town of a kingdom that was in exile and overrun by Romans, people were just going there because they had to go for a census that the emperor made. And in a cave turned stable there the word became flesh and dwelt among us and he is wonderful counselor and mighty god and everlasting father prince of peace and his kingdom will never end and that is a source of inexhaustible joy at christmas so here's the truth about joy the gift of joy is meant to be shared. In fact, joy by nature has to overflow. Some say that love, real love, is the overflow of joy in God that meets others' needs. So how can you share joy? Is there something that you can give someone out of the overflow of joy? Is there some time you can give someone out of the overflow of your joy? Is there some attention you can give someone out of the overflow of your joy? Is there some care you can give someone out of the overflow of joy as you look forward or don't look forward to that family meeting? Is there some forgiveness and grace and love that we could give someone out of the overflow of this inexhaustible joy that is ours because God became a baby. And that baby, Jesus, is the end of sin and death and the beginning of grace and truth. That baby, Jesus, helps us to know God intimately. And he even said, this is eternal life, that they might know you, the one true God and Jesus whom you've sent this baby that was born makes the kingdom come to earth through his people, the church. And that's good news of great joy for all people. So let's pray that we would be filled with joy because Jesus came. 
God, we hear these children singing. And Jesus, you said if we come to you, we've got to come like a little child. So God, I pray that you would stir our affections for your son in such a way that there'd be a joy that couldn't be contained, that our lives over the next several days would be singing maybe loudly and off-key, but full of joy. That our lives over the next couple of days would be filled with expressions that we just can't hold back because we're so excited about this baby in the manger who lived and rose from the dead and just as he came once will come again and we will be with him in ever-increasing joy forever and ever. Amen.